Hello there, my name's Neil David and I'm the host of Eurograps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, Pro Wrestling North, we don't care, we talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapsEXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, is Mr. December, Fred Moreland. Fred, how are you? I'm doing well, man. It has been a bit since we recorded, almost three weeks now, uh, if I'm doing math right, which I may not be. Uh, Almost two weeks, that's right. I was doing it wrong. Uh, And yeah, you know, things are going well. Just keeping busy and uh, AEW, almost like the world of MLW, it just never stops. No, it doesn't. And we have a lot, an absolute lot to talk about here today. And as you can tell, my dog's in the background. Eclair just got done with a neurology appointment where she either has meningitis or a brain tumor. And meningitis in dogs is a lot better than it is in people. So we're hoping that it's meningitis. Um, but yeah, there she's walking around and getting her bearings. And it's been a long, long day already but we're excited to record the show yeah and uh boy there it's a lot to talk about uh the news is i i put together the run sheet for the show every week and uh we nearly hit uh two and a half pages of news this week this might be the longest one i've ever done yeah this is a lot of stuff fred let's let's kick it off yeah i think we're just going to dive into the news and then talk about highlights from dynamite and collision then go away but first we got to put over that uh, our current plan is that on Tuesday, December 5th, just in case you're listening to this at some point in the future, we will be doing a show with the one and only Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, which is very exciting. We're going to be talking about a lot of things, including the Observer Hall of Fame, Observer Rewards, and uh, also just the status of AEW. But I also want to do a mailbag. Um and uh, if you're a longtime subscriber to uh, the Observer newsletter uh, slash figure for wrestling online, uh, one of the coolest things I think Dave ever did was uh, Sin Limite, which is where he would just uh, answer questions for two or three hours while Mike Simpervivi uh, asked him those questions. So what I want you to do is if you have a good question, email it to us at hungypod, that's H-U-N-G-E-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, we will do our best to ask it if it doesn't suck. That is at my uh, opinion. Sorry. Um, don't do any fantasy booking stuff. I don't, that shit ain't interesting. Uh, but yeah, if you have any questions about the states, the state of uh, the current industry or about the history of wrestling, feel free to ask it. And, uh, you know, I'll do my best to get everyone's questions in that, it, you know, if they don't suck. 
Fred, I want to ask you about something before we we get in here. Did you hear about what happened at Oklahoma State? Um, what specifically? There was a a dead Longhorn placed outside of the farmhouse fraternity house. Oh Lord, that I said F U C K F H, so F farmhouse. Okay, well and that's a lot. It apparently has nothing to do with the Big 12 title game tomorrow on Saturday. But okay, man. cool. <laughs> totally normal and uh, acceptable behavior. Good normal Lord. Oklahoma behavior. <laughs> God. Uh, I, I will never not make fun of Texas A&M after watching them swaying cult-like as they introduced their new coach uh, this past week. Well, at least he's already been at the university. Elf yeah, he's indoctrinated. It's yeah. still it's still weird. You're That's why he weird. was accepted and Mark Stoops wasn't. Because the devil you know <laughs> versus the devil you don't. Basically. Uh, once Mark Stoops does get poached by uh, someone with deeper pockets than the UK. That hold on. Hold on. Why would Mark Stoops ever leave? Mark, um, Stoops, no, hold on. Those... Mark Stoops is making $9 million. And all he has to do is go 7-5. and five. Yeah, That's basically, it. it's a sweet deal. He's, he's, but if ever anyone ever offers him, you know, double that, then you know you got to start. Nick thinking. Saban's making eleven. Ah, it's going up. Jimbo, Jimbo money. Get that Jimbo buyout money. Fucking Jimbo. Jimbo sucks. That was a, a, a hilariously bad contract when they signed it, and it's even worse now. Well, all right. Look, I'd love to talk college football. Like seriously, I have so much. Like. My favorite college football story of the past decade has been this year's Iowa team. It is taking a lot of self-restraint to not like, you know, sidetrack this with a half hour discussion of just how bad their offense was. <laughs> so because it's just <laughs> my favorite thing. I love it so much. But let's talk wrestling. I, I've got to be uh, I got shit to do. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> uh, as do you. All right. So I guess her top story of the week. There's several that are like at the same level, but I'm going to go with this one first. MJF. Uh, tweeted and then rather rapidly deleted, uh, but it still got out, obviously, that he's injured. He has, a, according to him, a torn labrum uh, that apparently came when he took the top rope urinage from Jay White and made him in a full gear. And then uh, also he injured his hip when he did the elbow drop uh, that was supposed to go through the table, but didn't go through it because the table collapsed. And then MJF was like, well, I'll make a bad decision here. Um, yeah, uh, that shit sucks. <laughs> Oh, two. Uh, either of those things, I, I guess. I mean, the Urinage probably should have been fine. Just stuff happens sometimes, I guess. But still, yeah. Um, he's going to work through them, both of those injuries. Um, I guess the plan is if he has to wrestle, you know, I guess, you know, either next week or the week after, I forget when, um, when they take the mystery tag match from the devil. It is next Wednesday in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Well, there you go. I guess whoever, whatever geek squad they're facing, um, him and Smojo, there's going to be a lot of smoke and mirrors. But I really hope it's the Johnsons from TNA. I really do. It'd be phenomenal. It, it would be. I would also laugh if it was the Creepers from that disastrous 2019 Dynamite. Um, that would that would pop me. Um, so yeah, something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, apparently, dealing with two major injuries that he's going to try to do like platelet replacement therapy for and just kind of otherwise work through. Uh, it'll be interesting to see just how much that uh, limits his ability to work. Um, 
Uh, I think that's kind of the biggest internal AEW story. The biggest external story is, of course, CM Punk, who I will never be able to escape talking about in my entire life. Uh, he debuted for WWE in somewhat of a surprise at Survivor Series um, and then cut a rather heartless promo on the following Raw. And I don't know if you watched that, Tyler, but I watched both the the live version and then the one they put online. And... Um, and that uh, the sweetening WWE does is hilarious. And I know that AW has done some sweetening of their own. So this isn't like a sweetening bad WWE bad thing. It was just very funny just how hard they pushed on the uh, the cheer boo CM Punk buttons at, at appropriate times. Um, just tickled me. That's all. Um, oh, Hold man. on. I, I have something I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> the tonal shift from Saturday night to Monday night. Oh He's yeah, astounding. I you know I thought he kind of looked rough coming out, just like tired, and uh, like not. This was not. Well, yeah, he like, had to talk to Triple H. Of course, he's tired. I can see how that's draining. Um, it's for CM Punk. Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see how this works. Um, you know, the last time I really watched any level of like WWE with any level of investment. I mean, I'm following their big matches this year. Um, but like, it was like 2015 and that was when the crowd was a hundred percent, like, well, not a hundred percent, obviously, but you know what I mean? Uh, it definitely had a, a portion that was like, we're going to boo things we don't like. And it very much seems like the 2023 WWE fandom is, uh, we'll, we like what you're doing and we will a hundred percent play along. And, uh, that's a good thing to have. That's not a criticism at all. Um, this is very interesting to watch because, you know, I, I could see in a different era, you get this much ballyhooed uh, CM Punk return with kind of a, a egg of a promo, you know, just a, a flop and uh, some crowd turning on it. But I, I can't imagine even what it would take for to happen on screen for a WWE crowd to even a Mania crowd to like turn on the product loudly. Yeah. And the big thing is, all the fans, and I'm not the first one to say this, and I won't be the last. All the fans that used to chant CM Punk at shows to take over Raw, they're gone. Yeah, this I really no. do think so. So I, I guess my big question is, outside of scalping AEW, who is CM Punk for? Uh, you know, I think that this is a crowd that may not, you know, a chunk of them may not know who CM Punk is outside of like, oh, he's a bad guy because he works for the other company and we're, you know, WWE devotees. Um, but, you know, I think that there that same chunk will also go along with the idea of him being a big star in uh, WWE if he's when he's presented as such and willing to go along with whatever direction they have planned. Um I think the better question is, you know, what will he exactly offer WWE? Because to be honest, outside of a few matches, you know, like the Smojo match was actually like very good for C you know, by CM Punk. Um, and I'm not saying he's like completely shot or anything, but at the same time, I think I thought it was very noticeable how he was uh if he hadn't outright lost a step, um, I thought that he was a hundred percent limiting himself on especially the collision matches, um, like the multi-man tags, those were almost all set up to like give him the night off and have FTR. You know, there's two, three or two three or four, I think, um, 
big like six or eight man tags on collision during the CM Punk era. It, it, they very much felt like let FTR do the heavy lifting and CM Punk will like come in, hit a couple moves, get a pop and then tag out. Um, and I just think that's, you know, kind of fascinating. And I'm going back through the, my, my match ratings and like he had obviously the, the all in match was a great match. Um, that was like four and a half stars, uh, four and a quarter, I should say uh, on my big old spreadsheet. Um, and then he had like a pretty good Samoa Joe match on collision and pretty good Satoshi Kojima singles match on Forbidden Door. But, you know, I can't really say any other efforts by him were like at a superstar level. So if he's not a great worker anymore and like, you know, we all know what his version of being a great worker was and he's not, he doesn't have the, the drive in him to cut great promos. Then what does he really offer? I think that'll be interesting to watch going forward. Yeah, he doesn't. I don't really think he offers a whole lot. His biggest asset to the company was like to AEW. He was he was the genesis of AEW and wanting real professional wrestling in this comp in the country and wanting a change and. Now, um, he's just he just feels like a sellout, and I think he knows it. I think he knows that this is the last time that he'll really be able to get a big deal, a big contract. I will say, TNA offered him. Dude should have went to TNA. He would have been able to do real professional wrestling and make good money. They're throwing money around now. This isn't... Like 2014 Destination America Pand Energy TNA. Yeah. They want to make a splash. They want to make a big move. And they talked about it on the flagship. The first person to take that is going to be interesting because mm-hmm. then yeah. all of a sudden you're going to give them validity. And the second they have a little validity with what this roster currently is, it's a good roster. It's got depth, it's got talent, it's got veterans, it's got up and comers. It's not a great roster. We're not talking like 2006 at TNA where you had like peak AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels and Chris Saban. You still have Saban, but he's slowed down just a little bit. And then you had the Virgins. I know, but he slowed down a little bit. Then you also had Samoa Joe, who was blossoming into the superstar. You had Kurt Angle coming into the company. Christian Cage. Abyss was great. Like You had so many like... If AW would have been TNA in 2006, just imagine what that could have become. And TNA has the chance to do that again. This time, they argue they don't have as high end of a roster, I don't think, but it's deeper. Josh Alexander, Alex Shelley, Chris Saban's still there. Trinity's done wonders for the women's division. And I mean, she's an above average worker. She's not great. But the knockouts division has arguably been the strongest women's division in the entire country for a decade. They're just consistent and good. And every once in a while, they peak really high. But, Mike Bailey. Don't forget Mike yeah. Bailey. Oh, I love Speedball. Spe- speedball looks like somebody you just took out of Street Fighter. And I know that's the gimmick. But you feel it. And yeah. that authenticity, it, it feels like he's a Street Fighter character. He doesn't just look the part. He feels the part and i like that a lot 
TNA could be really fun over the next couple of years, and I'm really excited to see how that manifests. Yeah. Uh, Imagine if if they get Camille, because Camille's contract's done on January 1st. Look, if AEW's not throwing money at her, then I really don't know what they're doing. Give Um, her whatever she wants. She has turned into a very good worker along with looking like a billion dollars. Yeah. She's physically impressive she's got she's got like the build the height and she's attractive and she's learned to talk which when she was with nick aldis oh she didn't talk at all i don't know what her ceiling is but it's it'd be a great add to the division yeah um uh, now, what's interesting? Couple interesting notes on CM Punk is he still has those NDAs, so he can't talk about certain people in AEW, uh, which you would have to imagine is at least like the Elite and Tony Khan. So uh, that kind of takes uh, direction out of his promos when he cuts them in WWE. Uh, he can't really do the whole like, "Oh, that company is bad" thing um, without probably losing some money. Um, and then uh, Dave Meltzer also reported that the signing of CM Punk was a Nick Khan move with input input from Paul Levesque, uh, and there was no Vince McMahon involvement at all. So just a different era of WWE, which is kind of really a seismic shift in professional wrestling and also being kind of underplayed when you talk about professional wrestling in 2023. Yeah, big dig Nick strikes again. Yeah. It's about making money. That's all it he is. gives a crap about it. It's about making money. And we'll see him punk pop business. I'm concerned that he won't because of the factors we talked about. The people that loved him aren't in, aren't big fans of the company anymore. There's been a massive tonal shift in what AEW is as a company. We'll find out. Yep, something to watch. Um uh, related to the CM Punk story, it became a big deal uh, in the news this week, I guess, uh, that Brian Danielson sat on the disciplinary disciplinary committee excuse me, that decided to terminate CM Punk's contract. Uh, the committee was basically him and two lawyers, um, and uh, it was apparently their recommendation to fire him. And you'd have to think that uh, if Tony Khan... Um, didn't want that to happen. He would not have uh, let that happen, but you know, it did. Um, boy, we really should like, there's a lot to write or talk about just specifically on its own about how the whole CM Punk situation was handled in AEW. Um, as much as I think CM Punk is annoying and uh, I think really screwed a lot of this up himself, uh, I think Tony Khan did some not so great uh, leadership. So, you know, all that along the way. Uh, but yeah, um, I want to talk about this for a second in a vacuum. I, I, I understand where Tony Khan is coming from. I think it's a little overblown to say it's complete bad leadership. I actually think it's a net positive that he, he sent it to a committee and my oh, that, I wasn't process, saying I wasn't saying that part was bad leadership for the record. Okay, well, my, my here's my thought process. Tony Khan wanted to fire him. And this is this is my conjecture. So just play along. Sure. Wanted to fire him, but he knew that he needed to make sure it was the right decision for for on, on a lot of angles. So he gets a locker room leader in Brian Danielson, somebody he trusts to be level headed and make a smart decision 
which by all accounts, that's Brian Danielson's and lawyers to make sure that you're taking care of it from a business and legal perspective. No emotions attached. Just look at the facts and let's make sure that we're coming to, to a smart conclusion. I think you wanted to fire him on the spot, but going about the process and doing your due diligence, I think when you're talking about a business like pro wrestling, look, if you were my boss at Home Depot and I got in your face and was physically uh, confronting you, you're firing me on the spot it, because it's Home Depot. This yeah. is pro wrestling. There are, there are slightly different levels to some of this stuff. And I'm not saying it as in justification as it's okay, but it's going to be more tolerant if you like get in your boss's face in professional wrestling, considering the nature of the business, than it is at somewhere like Home Depot. And I think it's smart for Tony to look at it from a broad perspective, talk to multiple people, and get multiple people's thoughts on on this before coming to that final conclusion which arguably is what he wanted anyways. And I think that's that's good leadership, even though it may not outwardly feel like it. Yeah. Yeah, my, my criticisms would be, I think, just allowing the situation to go on for so long and trying to, you know, trying to uh, bargain your way through a situation that would not work, uh, you know, essentially. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I also feel like this was kind of overblown in terms of like Brian Danielson's uh, import to this. You know, I think that, uh, and I also think some people were like, oh, you know, like really stupidly oversimplified this to Brian Danielson firing uh, Sam Punk. Um, obviously, it's a little more complicated than that. And I uh, also think uh, it's not a surprise that. Uh, you know, he made that decision. Uh, it was pretty obvious at that point. I can't imagine what would, um, what could have changed, you know, to, uh, what could have occurred to make that a workable situation. And uh, I don't know, man. It's kind of, kind of tough. Yep, exactly. Well, you know, continuing on the CM Punk uh situation discussion uh i'm gonna skip down a little bit on my big old sheet of news qt marshall uh is gone from AEW at the end of the year uh december 31st um uh, i the connection here with cm punk is that you know uh for a while qt had quite a bit of power he was at one point apparently the, uh, according to drew lanza the number two guy in AEW next to uh Tony Khan, and uh, it's also notable that when Collision launched basically a CM Punk show, uh, CM Punk uh, wanted him kept off of Collision uh, and away from the show, too. Um, uh, in fact, uh, Lanza also said oh. that one of uh, Punk's ideas was to basically immediately break up uh, QTV and have Hobbs kill everyone and uh, you know make him a... get him away from that act. So... Like I've always said, CM Punk is right about everything, and uh, he was never wrong. Fucking right about that. He was right about that. Yeah, seriously. Like I can't disagree with that opinion at all. That was basically my opinion. So of course it's correct. Um, but no. Uh, but like uh, QT Marshall uh, was also very well like backstage. Uh, he helped people a lot with like finishes and match layout. 
Uh, and, um, you know, I think the guy is talented in a way. I, I, I do think you, I'm not a fan of QTV. I thought that was pretty much a failure from the start. Um, as a creative idea, I think it just flopped. Um, but I think he's talented. He's a good wrestler. Um, he's good at being kind of that scumbag heel. Um, remember I, when he was uh dollar store, Will Osprey for a minute. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, we, gymnastics. It was awesome. Remember like the two week period where like he owed money to, uh, he was being extorted by the bunny. I think it was, or was that Penelope Ford? One of the two of them. Um, it's kind of a weird storyline in early dynamite that, uh, got abandoned quickly. Um, anyways, but yeah, there's a lot of people backstage that are not happy. He's leaving the company. Um, you know, and the Nightmare Factory uh, has kind of been Wally pipped by uh, Creative Pro, according to Joe Lanza again from the flagship this week. Um, and, you know, but the people that trained during the, they, they were on the come up during the the Nightmare Factory era, the first couple of years of AEW, and especially during 2020 and the pandemic, when a lot of people were just working there regularly, uh, I think QT, QT is a remarkably important figure to them and i do think this comp- this hurts the company some backstage um now there is reporting pretty consistent reporting that qt wants to be a professional wrestling star he wants to be a guy on screen that gets a push um and you know i just put him over i think he's very talented i uh do not know where he fits i, I just can't really see him fit in as a uh as a tv guy it, considering who AEW and WWE are pushing. He just doesn't really feel like a WWE guy uh, in terms of what they traditionally like. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, well, AEW, I mean, obviously was not getting those opportunities. Um, but I frankly don't know that there's too many guys on the guys, you know, too many men on their roster that I would push UT ahead of. Um now, could he have been like a a good like Ring of Honor mid Carter, you know, or upper mid Carter? Yeah, sure, I, I could I, I could see that. Uh, but I think really the best spot for him to end up right now, if he can get it, is Impact. I think he could be a pretty major player there. And if he goes down another level to like NWA or MLW, I think he could be a main eventer in either of those companies, and it would be a big upgrade on a lot of the talent they have there. So. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what he does next. Um, oh, I did do journalism today. Baby's first journalism. I uh, I emailed QT, and uh, there's this quote going around from House of Wrestling, which kind of isn't really well expanded on. But uh, basically, the, <laughs> there is a report that he is part of why he's leaving AEW is he's unhappy with the direction of the company, and he feels like it's becoming more New Japan like. Um, without any real follow-up on what exactly that means. Um, which, this is kind of funny, and I feel like a Trevor Dame tweet really put this best for people like me, who are like, yeah, I can see why you'd be unhappy with the direction of the company, and then you see the rest of the quote, which is, it's becoming too much like New Japan, and then people like me are like, huh? Uh, but I also read, and I can't recall where at this point, so I apologize for that. Uh, I've read so much crap this week. Uh, but basically, uh, it's could very well be that New Japan, uh, in this quote, is either referring to the influx of talent like Will Ospreay and Kyle Fletcher, 
or it could be uh, the addition of the uh, Continental Classic and uh, kind of going back to an emphasis on matches over. I don't want to call them stories, because, even though that's what's how some people refer to them, but like the WWE style of storytelling of like, you know, the backstage talking segments and all that. Um, now, there is a report from Fightful Select that MOW has interest in him. I think that would be a great move for both sides there and uh, very interesting to watch. But yeah, uh, I think QT is still good and I'm interested to see what happens next with him. Um, and best of luck to him. Um, uh, MLW or NWA, I, I really believe, would both would be very smart to pick him up, and Impact would be too. I think you should go to NWA. I think you could realistically build him up to be an NWA world champion. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, speaking of journalism, I did a journalism too, Fred. Oh, yeah? I wrote an article for Voice of Wrestling. Well, then. I know we'll talk about that later, but I wrote about John Moxley and why John Moxley is basically the savior of AEW. Yeah. I, I did fail to actually say what my journalism was. I reached out to QT to ask him for clarification on that statement. And he said that he would be able to clarify it, not necessarily with us after uh, December 31st when his contract expires. Um, okay. Um Let's see. Going back up the sheet, uh, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter this week has some really inf interesting information on AEW's finances for 2023. So let's talk about that some. Uh, basically, they're expected to finish the year with $170 to $175 million in revenue. Uh, that is up from last year's. Uh, his number was over $100 million. Doesn't get more specific than that, other than saying that it barely cleared that bar. So let's just assume it's like 101 or 102. Yeah. So that's like a 75% increase. You know, they they damn near doubled their revenue increase. Now the question is, did they uh, were they profitable? Which no one outside the company really knows. Um, there's you know undoubtedly some co increased costs with more pay per views and more TV shows and the cost the startup cost of starting Collision. I think those are all important factors to consider. Um, but, you know, uh, if they're not profitable right now, they may be. One important thing to consider for next year is that uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, you know, this year Dynamite is that option year from the last contract they signed. And that option year did, did have a uh, escalator in terms of how much money was coming in. Uh, so that should definitely push them closer to being profitable. Uh, the current TV deal does expire at the end of 2024. Um, and, uh, one really interesting note, I think, is that Meltzer said that no pro wrestling company has come close to these revenue numbers, except for WWE basically every year since 98 and WCW in 1998 and maybe 97 and 99. Uh, so AEW is operating at basically a level we haven't seen for a non-WWE company in, uh, 25 years. Yeah, that rules. Um, I think it's important to note the profitability because we don't know they're not getting a ton from Warner Brothers Discovery. I think the recent number reported was $44 million per year. Mm -hmm. And that, I don't know if that was including collision or not. Including collision, you got to think that's going to get a lot closer to 60, if not more. But I think it's important that even though it doesn't include those numbers right now, uh, like a major TV deal. Tony Khan did say that he expects to finalize that major TV deal in the calendar year 2024. And that once they do, it's going to be 
massive for AEW. That's a big part of making sure you're profitable. That's why the NFL is so profitable. That's why the NBA is profitable. You're not going to always fill up these buildings when you go somewhere. But you know what you do have? They're paying you X amount no matter what product you put on the TV. doesn't matter if it's a great game like Eagles-Bills from last week or an absolute shit game like Patriots versus Giants. It matters that you have that TV money. And for AEW, it's going to be one of the biggest things in determining, is this going to be a successful company? Is this going to be a viable long-term option? Which we have no evidence to say that it's not. Obviously, the last few months of booking have been spotty at best. But at the end of the day, when you're making $170, $175 million in revenue without a major television deal, because I wouldn't consider the deal that they currently have with Warner Brothers Discovery as a major television deal. Once they get that, all bets are off. Because if they were able to just match the $175 million in revenue, and that's their TV deal, $175 million a year. That's a very impressive mark. It's a very impressive level. And now you're talking a massive influx of cash. And that, that means a lot. It's like a lemonade stand starting with 20 bucks. And then all of a sudden, dad just invests 100 bucks so you can go bake a bunch of, of cookies and stuff for people to buy at while they're getting their lemonade. Like it matters and yeah. they're on the right track. I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. Obviously there are still concerns about the long-term storytelling and booking of this promotion, considering how the last few months have gone under MJF's reign, but business wise, it's hard to argue anything but a massive success. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I mean, the way that uh, the industry is set up in 2023, you need that TV money to be a high level success. And uh, once AEW gets that, because it does appear to be essentially very likely that that'll happen. Um, I think that that will make them, uh, frankly, uh, a made company, at least for the short term, short term, you can never really tell long term. Um but yeah, I mean, it's really exciting, I think. Uh, so that will be interesting uh, to see. Uh, two other notes tied to this that I found interesting, also both from Dave. Um, one, um, the uh, WWE actually went to Warner Brother Discovery. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, doom and gloom with certain people paying attention to things, and not unfairly, uh, about AEW's financials. Um, first of all, that... Um, you know, just there's concerns about the bubble popping for sports rights to some extent. Uh, specific, not the big ones, but, you know, when you're on a lower level and, you know, AEW is smaller than WWE. So it's not an unfair conclusion to wonder if they'll be able to make decent money when, uh, you know, they aren't as big as WWE. Uh, I think that's kind of a flawed assumption, but it's an assumption that's out there. Uh, but uh, Warner Brother just outright declined to negotiate with WWE. And despite the fact that, like, David Zaslav is publicly, you know, flexing like he's not going to negotiate with the NBA at all, I have to think that's a pretty positive sign for AEW that WWE wasn't even, like, talked with. Uh, now, is it really in Tony Khan's best interest to only negotiate with Warner Brother Discovery? I don't think so. 
Uh, you probably get more money if you shop it around some, but you know, he obviously really values the Warner Brother Discovery relationship, and there's value in having a super safe relationship like that as long as they keep getting, you know, increases in money. So, <clears throat> so I think that'll be uh, that'll be something to watch uh, at the end of next year, or maybe a little earlier. Um, and the second thing that I thought was really interesting is that, you know, this actually, uh, the growth of AEW actually hurts MLW, uh, in a specific way. Uh, MLW is currently suing WB as part of their, uh, uh, basically claiming that, uh, WWE is a monopsony, uh, which is basically where a single buyer controls the market. Uh, it's similar, but different from a monopoly. Um, and typically, the legal threshold, not officially, but kind of officially, is that if one company controls 90% of the market share, that's a monopsony that has to be looked at uh, and possibly, you know, broken up or otherwise, you know, worked against. Um, last year, uh, according to Meltzer's numbers, uh, it was when that lawsuit was filed, actually, I should say, it was believed that WWE had a 92% market share. So over that magic 90% number. Uh, but uh, according to Meltzer's numbers, again, uh, this year that number would be closer to 80% as AEW share grows. And, um, you know, the idea that AEW's growth would hurt this lawsuit uh, by MLW just is very amusing uh, in a roundabout kind of way. Just kind of a funny trick of history, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um, okay, more news. Good God. So uh, I'm going to talk about this uh, MLW thing because... Yeah, sure. I would love to actually get a lawyer on here to talk about it because it's a very interesting argument that MLW is trying to make because one of the genesis of their argument is the fact that they cut a deal with Reels and then all of a sudden Reels went on to Peacock and then none of their programming was allowed to air even though it was already airing on Reels. Um, That kind of pushback, I don't know if it's like libel where you have to meticulously prove six different parts in order to prove that it's libel whereas slander you only have to prove five because slander is is not a, a in the written word it's like the rectangle square theorem slander is a rectangle libel is a square okay you have to have slander with libel but you don't have to have libel or, or libel is always slander slander is not always libel and i'm wondering how that theorem portrays into the idea of a monopoly because they are and it's evident that they are pushing mlw out and not allowing them to get the airspace that they theoretically had earned that through their workings with reels and then other elements around that but obviously aw being successful is kind of its own thing but it doesn't necessarily diminish the practices that WWE is utilizing, which I think is what MLW is actually suing about. So I'm wondering how much cross-pollination you have between the two to where it AEW success actually helps WWE in this lawsuit because it doesn't impact their business practices. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting lawsuit. Now, what's really notable, I think, uh, is always to keep in mind here is Basically, this uh, this case was taken up by MLW's legal team, Kasowitz Benson Torres, uh, which is a massive legal firm uh, with nine separate offices. Like they've done a bunch of huge cases. Uh, they they basically took it up uh, 
without payment up front. Uh, I think basically the reporting was that they're going to get paid uh, on on the back end, you know, as part of the judgment. Um, and for for a cup for a law firm this big uh, to take that case that way, uh, I think it's very indicative that they believe that the case has merits. Um, you know, this is. If you'll remember about a decade ago, there were some really rinky-dink uh, concussion-related lawsuits filed against WWE by a lawyer who, from the analysis I read, uh, thought he did not do a very good job uh, on those cases. Uh, this isn't that. Um, I think that this is... Uh, it's, I mean, at least, you know, this large law firm seems to believe it has legs, and I think that means, you know, quite a bit, so... It'll be fascinating to continue to watch because it is noteworthy that it passed through um, and is allowed to go to trial, I think, mm -hmm. is where we're I, at. Yeah, um, I believe WWE tried to dismiss and uh, the judge rejected that motion. So it does appear they're heading to trial. Yeah. All right. What's next, Fred? Uh, what's next is uh, all in Wembley. Like I said, this is a huge news week. Uh, the, all, the, they went on sale to the public today. Uh, I believe as of yesterday, they were at about 29,000 tickets sold. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how the numbers go today. Um, it's uh, this is this is huge. Um, you know, it's it's I don't think they're going to end up selling as many tickets as last year. Uh, last year, I think they uh, what was the big number again that uh, Will Osprey got tattooed and then uh, found out maybe that was just the turnstile number. And then we had a big debate about what that actually meant. Good Lord um i'm vamping here okay so uh the official attendance uh as far as people going through the turnstile was seventy-two thousand two hundred and sixty-five. um the number of tickets sold was 81,035 and then Meltzer estimated that 84 to 85,000 tickets were distributed in total including comp tickets uh i don't think they're going to hit those numbers but right now they are trying really hard to uh I mean, I don't know what I'm saying. Let me rephrase that. Sorry. They uh, really jacked up the prices on tickets. Um, kind of notoriously. Uh, I've seen people tweeting stuff like uh, they paid 80 pounds for a ticket last year. And that same section is now uh, 300 pounds a seat. Um, so they're, they're really trying to get a lot of money off this. Uh, they have increased the numbers. And... Um, you know, before they even went public, they had sold twenty nine thousand tickets. So that's you know that's a that's a real hell of a number right there. Yeah, I think if they uh, sell sixty percent of the tickets that they did, this is me speculating, they're going to reach the same gate. Uh, last year was about getting as many people in that building and setting a record. Yeah, they're going to try and make money, and they did make. They made a lot of money. I think the gate mm -hmm. was almost ten million American, but it wasn't about making as much money. It was about making history and putting people in that building. This year, Bob making money. They know they know they're not going to sell the same amount of tickets. The product isn't as hot. It's the the novelty of it is now gone. It's not the first time you're ever running Wembley. It's not all these things about beating WWE's SummerSlam mark in 1992. There's just elements of it that are not there. Now, it's about trying to make as much money as you can per person. And I think they're going to do that. Yeah. They, I mean, 
you know, obviously they want to make a lot of money, and uh, even if they don't sell as many tickets, they should be able to do that. Um, I don't know. There's something to keep an eye on for sure. I think they'll end up being just fine. Um, there's some uh, there were some predictions that it, like they get less than ten thousand tickets, and it's just like, nah, man, that, that's not gonna happen. Look, um, I understand being down on WWE, and there are very few people as down on WWE or sorry on EWs. You and I, Fred. We've been very down on the tone of the promotion over the last few weeks. Yeah. However. Months. Months. <laughs> however. Come on. Yeah. You got to be realistic about it. Um, And, uh, yeah, I mean, just, yeah, they're, they're going to move some tickets. Um, big financial success probably ahead for them again. Uh, but also, you know, I don't think this is really indicative of uh, AEW's interest with fans. And uh, another thing to go back to the financials part uh, we just discussed um, is that, uh, and Tyler just had to step away for a second, is that some people in AEW, at least according to Meltzer, are arguing that that these increased financials, the increased uh, revenue, is indicative of people being critical of a drop in interest of AEW uh, being wrong, essentially. And I think that's just kind of mistaken right there you know you, you can't increase the number of opportunities for people to give you money and then point to that and just say oh yeah we're definitely interest is up because revenue is up like that's not a one-to-one relationship uh it's a very good sign that pay-per-view buys have not fallen but i think that uh, tv ratings are large you know they're they're down year over year and you know we we looked at that last time we talked about the dip in AEW ratings versus TBS and TNT in general, uh, how it's much further for AEW. I mean, I, I think in general, you know, most of AEW's business indicators are down year over year, whether it be attendance or TV ratings. And uh, pay-per-view buys is the uh, outs, you know, the outlier or outlier, I should say, of uh, of that. So, I would not take that or the. Uh, the ticket sales for this, you know, upcoming all in Wembley to be indicative of like no problems in AEW. But I also think that we need to be realistic that like AEW is not on death's door or anything like that. Uh, I think a lot of people have PTSD from WCW and um, this is not 2000, 2001 WCW. Uh, they're, they're definitely not in that situation. Uh, it's fair to be very annoyed with how AEW has taken some things. At the same time, you have to be realistic about the business prospects of that. Uh, another big story that I think can't be really overstated. Uh, being the elite is done, um, according to Dave Meltzer. Now, you know, you know, they can always change their mind and bring it back. It's a YouTube series. There's not exactly like a big investment in terms of keeping that going or, or what it would take to relaunch, it, I guess I should say. Uh, but for now, being the elite is... Uh, is not coming back. And uh, I think that's very reflective of how different the young bucks standing in professional wrestling is from when it started. You know, they were hungry guys in the Indies when it started. And now they're guys that are made in a uh, major American professional uh, wrestling uh, company. And just very uh, noteworthy. Um, You know, I do think that the quality of the show has dropped markedly over the past two years. Uh, their attempts to make new people really fell off. They kind of just weakly went with uh, like Ryan Nemeth and uh, 
and uh, the librarians, which wasn't exactly, we're not talking about Marty's curl here, even Flip Gordon. <laughs> um, but yeah, now they are running in its place being the Dark Order. Uh, if that first uh, episode is indicative, uh, I may not watch the second. <laughs> um, kind of stunk. I think the magic of uh, the magic of uh, Johnny Hungy and all that is kind of gone. Um, but yeah, um, big uh, sea change there in the history of AEW. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club. Dot com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, I'm setting these things off. It's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net, arena club.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast network if i could have a moment of your time i'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors eufy video lock eufy video lock is a smart lock a 2k camera and a doorbell all three in one offering you triple security so you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door but it's not just for security 
The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking. Again, 0.3 seconds, it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock. And with the AI self-learning chip embedded, the more you use it, the more accurate it will be. Also, no battery anxiety. You have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived. And, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, one second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door Yeah, I, I like that it's changing, and I think it's good that it's changing. But with change, sometimes comes frustration. Uh, it can be sad. Uh, it's not always good, but things evolve, and you just kind of, kind of, kind of go with it. And I'm just glad we never have to watch the librarians again. They seem like good in humans. Yeah, I'm not burying them as people. Shit. Uh, I, I kind of like, you know, Peter Avalon is a worker. Leva Bates seems like a lovely person. Um, Peter Avalon's a good job guy. Very yeah, good job guy. He's a good job guy. I actually gave him like three and a half stars. Uh, no, that was, uh, sorry, that was Michael Nakazawa that teamed with uh, Brandon um, in that one squash match. But I mean, like, Avalon's a perfectly fine jobber for where AEW is right now. Um, I feel like the librarian's gimmick just was dead on arrival, unfortunately. Um, oh, I probably should. Shh. Tyler, I have so much more news to go through. We can't. Shh. We are 48 minutes in and I'm not even halfway through. Good God. Um, uh, Katsuyori Shibata had to basically emergently go back to Japan. I'm not entirely sure why. Um, so he, that's why he lost his pure championship to Wheeler Yuta on Rampage last week with Minimal Build. Um, gotta I, think I, it had something to do with family or, or his visa. visa 
yeah i i would bet visa first uh hopefully everything's fine with this family um and if it's visa then hopefully they'll be able to uh take care of that you know relatively quickly um I just saw this uh, just pop up, uh, Tyler. Uh, the Fresno State uh, football coach is stepping away due to health concerns, uh, Jeff Tedford. So, still yeah, I, I had seen that. Um, I hope I hope everything's okay. Yeah. It, it also they also weren't specific how long he was stepping away for. Oh. If this was permanent or just for the bowl game. Yeah. Um, anyways, um, I just saw that and had to share that. Okay, full gear buys. Uh, per Meltzer, you know, with Thanksgiving, those numbers are going to be disrupted some, but early numbers seem to indicate it's going to be somewhere between 122,000 and 144,000, which would be up from a uh, Wrestle Dream, which looks like it did 110,000. So that's about a, you know, a 10 to 30% jump right there. Um, it f- so l- let me say this, Fred, yeah. it feels like it's down year over year from full gear. But when you put Wrestle Dream in the middle, and it, let's say I, I want to say if it reached 144, full gear would have been down about 15 ish thousand. That feels about the right number. Well, you replace that 15,000 with 110,000, and adding that extra pay per view may have trickled down and taken away some of the full gear buys. Yeah. But you still get a significant amount more buys. And that's the thought process behind having more pay per views. Yeah, it ends up being profitable. There has been no point in the history of professional wrestling or UFC or or boxing or whatever where adding pay-per-views or increasing the prices of pay-per-views is a negative to your overall business. You may get less buys, but the increased revenue, uh, whether it be from a higher price tag or from more shows, uh, benefits you in the long run. Um, We saw that even going back to when... WWF and WCW moved on from like their three or four shows a year to like monthly ones. And uh, when they moved on from like, you know, WWF moved on from their mini pay-per-view in your house uh, idea at a lower price tag to just full-fledged pay-per-views. Those all worked. And people always said, people will not pay for this. And you saw this into, you know, the past 10 or 20 years where people said, no one will pay these increased prices for UFC pay-per-views or no one will buy UFC pay-per-views if they're put behind the ESPN paywall. And it's been wrong every time. Um, Mm -hmm. And we have not, at at some point, you know, you are going to charge too much for a pay-per-view. If you charge 500 bucks for a pay-per-view, you may not make money. Uh, like you would at the current price tag levels, but we have not, we do not have evidence at this point in time that what that point is. All right. Uh, ratings. Uh, God, we're just, I don't know how much time we're going to have to talk about these shows, but here's the ratings. Uh, dynamite this past Wednesday, 858,000 overall 0.29 demo. That's their best rating since the start of the NBA season back in October. Uh, collision 317,000, a 0.09 demo that is their worst rating ever in their normal Saturday time slot. Uh, of course, that ran opposite Survivor Series, which just killed it dead. Uh, and then Rampage, which was moved off its usual time slot to lead into Collision, did a worse 264,000.08 demo. Um, that is its lowest overall rating and third lowest demo in the show's history. The only demo numbers that are worse were from other nights off the usual night. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, I don't want to read too much off of one offs here, but I think that the 
collision and rampage numbers are just a continuation of how uh the the thing that hurts AEW the most right now is uh is WWE if they run opposite each other and uh both of those numbers from last Saturday are tough they're they're, they're not good I will say I I think the dynamite number is good um the collision or rampage numbers uh, whatever whatever like it's so hard because of what collision and rampage are, are dealing with with their time slot when you move it it's a killer just look at what happens to smackdown when it goes to fs1 dynamite beat smackdown on fs1 yeah it it's unfair when you're talking about moving time slots it's not a permanent move it was a permanent move then we could have a better conversation. It's a temporary move. You can't judge on that kind of one-off. It's just, no, it's fine. Is it great? No. Whatever. I think you just move on. And when you move it, the network understands there's going to be a dip. You understand there's going to be a dip, and you just hope it doesn't crater. And honestly, that, that collision number, like, yeah, the collision was in its normal time slot. But you're going against Survivor Series and and uh, premium live events have been known to just crush AEW because there's enough, there's a lot of crossover. You know, would you rather watch Collision or Survivor Series War Games? Most people are going to say, I'm going to watch the PLE because it's War Games. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying that's just your reality. Like, I, I don't love it. I don't like it. And it's also one of the reasons why I would try not to be your competition and try to be yourselves. Because I bet you, if you were just AEW, number is probably 400. A 25% increase. Just by doing the shit that you were real good at when you started the company. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh... I, I do think that the collision number is meaningful since it was their usual slot. Um, I do think that they get hurt by WWE um, by their shows uh, when they run head to head, and you know that's it. Um, not much else to it, I think. Ah, uh, let's see what is next. Okay, let's do some uh, quick hitters here. All right, Matt Hardy on his podcast said that he is very frustrated with how the Hardys are being used, and he thinks they have more to offer to the promotion. Do you? Do you really have more to offer, Matt? And I don't mean uh, this insulting. They're just, for lack of a better term, they're washed. I, you know, for a company like AEW, with which is really built around high, uh, high level uh, matches, I just don't know where uh, the Hardys fit in. You know, I think uh, their last couple of six man tags I've watched with uh, Brothers A, man, Brothers A is, I think he's quite improved actually and is doing some heavy lifting to make those matches watchable um i think he's uh he's a hell of a worker uh he's a hell of a seller at least and uh you know i, I think he's improved quite a bit from 2019 so good on him hey that's a transition point uh srs uh sean ross Sapp has reported that mark quinn may be back in action soon he was seen it backstage uh, and he also mentioned the same report that Thunder Rosa is ready to go. She's just waiting on creative. Um, maybe that creative can be uh, the end of Timeless Tony. Uh, okay, so Serena Deeb. That's Mariah May's job. 
uh, I, I worry about how long that's going to take. Um, <laughs> all right, next, uh, Serena Deeb has been cleared to return. Uh, she was out due to unprovoked seizures, which is pretty damn scary. Uh, now there were reports that some there she something played a role there with trauma with her uh, backstage that she had apparently uh, gotten into some arguments or something. Uh, I forget the exact details at this moment, uh, but you know I certainly hope that her uh, health has improved and uh, frankly she could help out this women's division. So I'm seizures are scary, to man. They I are. Mean, I'm, I'm dealing with it with my dog. My best friend has epilepsy. I I wish her all the best. The easy part about seizures is they can be controlled the tough part about seizures is figuring out how to control them yeah that is you gotta... what, what triggers the seizure is so different from person to person or animal to animal we were lucky enough where all of the clairs blood work came back clean like oh that's great oh wait how do we know what's causing them and how can we fix it well we went to a neurologist and we're hoping it's not the brain tumor but like that's the tough part. Like you can be on medications and cycle through and it takes a long time because you have to be on them for a while to really figure it out. And I mean, my best friend's been living with it for 13 years. It then they eventually they figured out, Oh, post-college eat a good diet and get enough sleep. You idiot. That's basically what he has to do. When you have two kids that can be hard, but he's got a pretty great wife and they make it work. Yeah. It's uh you know, on top of that, uh, when you're starting a new uh, medication for seizures, you have to wait for them to taper to the right level and, you know, hope that you pick the right ones. It's uh, it's really tough to control all of that. Um, uh, moving on, uh, a couple notes on Sammy Guevara. First of all, he has been cleared to wrestle after his concussion. And he is also a father. He and T. Mello are welcomed a baby girl to the world on November 28th. So congratulations to them and uh, congratulations to Sammy on getting cleared. Uh, Next note, Bandito will need a second surgery due to his arm not healing properly from the first one. Now I did just see a tweet from Bandito indicating that there is a possibility that therapy is an option on the table. So I think he's going to try that first and see if he can avoid the second surgery. Uh, Hopefully he will be able to return soon. Uh, He's awesome. Yeah, um, Bandita rules, man. I hope he's okay. It would be a net benefit for him to come back healthy. For sure. Uh, It'd be nice if we could get a luchador in like a truly pushed position, but, you know, AEW. Chuck Taylor, he is out of action right now. It's believed to be due to a foot injury. Uh, I don't know if you saw his partner Trent Beretta's uh, uh, singles match, I should say, New Japan against Shingo Takagi. Uh, at the last uh, strong show they did last month, it ruled uh, four and a half stars. Recommend that to check it out. Uh, there are no plans for Ronda Rousey to work in AEW or Ring of Honor again right now. That was not like the start of a contract or anything. It was basically a one-off. She just happened to be there. Tony Khan was like, "Hey, you want to work?" And she was like, "Yeah, sure." So she basically <laughs> did a tag match with her friend uh, Marina Shafir and. Uh, Hey, there you go. That, and that's also why it was on Ring of Honor and not on TV. It was just like a little like, yeah, you know, oh, uh, that sounds like fun. I'll do it. So, hey, I, I wonder if it'll lead to anything, because you know what? If if Rousey's going to put in as much effort as she did in that tag match and, and at Wrestling Revolver, she might be worth bringing in. And you don't have to have her as like a full full time, but you bring her in for a few like four to six week storylines 
uh, here and there. I, I think there's a benefit to having Ronda Rousey on the roster. I, I, I really don't know what her max peak is because she really wasn't valuable at all in her last WWE stint, but she was such a big difference maker. But she, we're now what, seven years removed from her at the end of her UFC run. Like that's a long time. Yeah. But either way, she's a capable enough worker. And especially if, and if you structure those matches, right, they can be very, very good to great. And she may be a benefit to have on the EW women's division. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something to keep an eye on. Uh, Sandy hook actually happened. Um, Let's see. Sting's retirement match is going to be a revolution on March 3rd, which will be at Greensboro Coliseum, uh, which is famously the site of the 1988 Ric Flair and Sting 45-minute uh, draw, which they did a whole segment about on Dynamite. Uh, but Fun you know, fact. Mm-hmm. In the building at Dynamite, nobody saw that. They didn't play that vignette. Oh, right. Yeah, you, you were know telling what me they about did? that earlier. They did it live for the crowd. So that, that was, that was kind of cool. Um, Interesting. I will say, I think it was Chris Zellner who was disappointed that it was in Greensboro and thought it should have been in Baltimore. What is, what is your take on that? I mean, if I were to pick a different market, it would have been Atlanta just because of the WCW connection. I get where he's coming from with Baltimore because that was an important part of uh, you know the late 80s, mid-Atlantic slash not quite WCW, but you know that transition period. Um I just don't think it's like modern day. I don't think the connection is as strong um, as, uh, you know, otherwise. So uh, we're getting down to the crumbs here. Uh, AEW has filed to trademark East West Express, which is the tag name of Jordan Oliver and Nick Wayne on the Indies. This is notable because I believe, according to Sean Ross Sapp, Oliver wasn't aware of that filing until he was asked about it. Womp womp. Um, if I were him, I would oppose that, and I think you would be able to uh, to win that pretty easily, but to be seen. Uh, just something to keep an eye on. Um, uh, just a random note uh, in response to some completely random person trying to push a report that uh, Chris Jericho and John Moxley were soon going to jump to WWE, which is some extreme wish casting there sean ross sap tweeted that both are signed through 2027 so <laughs> no <laughs> all right and then uh upcoming match matches announced uh, for rampage tonight we have uh a squash by the uh don Callis family to hobbs and fletcher we have a eight-man tag uh the best friends of jason trent orange cassidy hook and dan Housen against evil uno alex reynolds matt menard and angelo parker uh we have a six woman tag soraya ruby soho and anna J against chris detlander hikaru shida and sky blue aka the only women's wrestlers in <laughs> aw seemingly at times uh and then uh we have a little tune-up, uh, which could be awesome if they give it any time at all. Uh, we have uh, Pentagon, uh, or Pinta, or Pinta El Zero Miedo, or Pinta M, or whatever name he has, uh, along with Hijo Del Vikingo and Commander against Brian Cage, J.D. Drake, and Anthony Henry. If that was given 18 minutes at an indie show, that would rock. Um, I, I will say it did rock. It did was they get fun. any amount of time at all? Ah. Uh... 
It felt like it was like 12 to 15 minutes. Cool. It, it felt like it got substantial time. It was good. fun. It was good. The guys behind me, when I was at, in the building, I'd never seen Vikingo. They were yeah. like, holy shit, what is that? <laughs> like they were they were blown away. And I looked at him like, oh, is this your first time seeing Vikingo? They're like, yeah, who is that guy? I'm like, he's Rey Mysterio Jr., but modern day. He's, yeah. He's breaking the mold. Like like the um, shooting star press, like Hurricane uh, uh, Rana. I think yeah. he did that. Oh, um, God. No, it was that match I recommend. I recommend the I believe it'll be the opener, best friends and um Danhausen and Hook against uh Dark Order and 2.0. That was good. Everything in the middle is very skippable. Um the women's match did have some advancement with the outcast like little storyline they have going on with Saray and Ruby Soho. Um okay. but it's not really you don't really have to watch it other than that. It, there was some tension between Statlander and Sky Blue. I thought it was noteworthy. But whatever. Uh the Don Cows family, that was a fun little squash. Okay. Um yeah, but I would recommend the opener in the main event. Definitely cool. worth your time watching. Um everything else in the middle, hand, yeah, whatever. Fair yeah, enough. Good little hour of wrestling television. Like nothing was bad. It it's That's just good. I would go out of your way to see the workhorsemen and Brian Cage versus the Luchadors. That was fun as hell, but it's also a match. If you've been watching wrestling for like we do for a long time, you've seen it before. It's still fun to watch like Vikingo and JD Drake. Oh yeah. That sounds like an awesome matchup. JD Drake um, looks like a, a farmer from a town of 214 people in the Midwest. He'd find at the local bar drinking his weight in old Milwaukee at 5 PM on a Tuesday. Uh, but you know what? The dude can work and he shockingly moves well. Yeah, he's he's a. I I just wish he was like ten years younger. I think he really uh-huh. could have had a run somewhere, and it's a shame that he, you know, like Evolve was where he's ha- topped out at. You know, um, should have been a, a TV guy uh, on a bigger level, I should say. Collision announced for tomorrow. Of course, are the uh, C two matches. Uh, I'm going with Africano Classic. Uh, Eddie Kingston, Brian Danielson, which I am hyped for. Uh, Claudio Castagnoli and Brody King, which could also be awesome, and Andrade versus Daniel Garcia, which could also be awesome. So here's hoping that those uh, three all deliver. And hey, look at me structuring things so we can transition. Let's talk about the Continental Classic. Uh, what do you think of it so far? Look, it, this feels like um, the dog days of the G1. Like, night eight and Bipu. Like, it, it's good wrestling. There's been nothing bad. Um, I my favorite match was Roosh and Mark Brisk. Go, oh, I went four and a half minus. Um, Swerve and Jay White also went four and a half minus, but I preferred the first one better. They just beat the living shit out of each other, and they went. They did high spots. They did all kinds of cool stuff, and then Roosh just beats his ass. I, I thought it was so good. Um, the styles are different. It's fun. It's just good, solid wrestling. And nothing's been elite. You're missing some of the real tippy top guys, which, and I understand why, Hey, you know, it's not a, it's not perfect. It's not exactly a G one, but it's also American television wrestling. I think for what they're trying to accomplish, this is very good. And I love, absolutely love that a guy like Jay lethal is in there Uh, because one, you can just beat him like a drum. And two, he feels like a credible threat to win every match because he is a good solid worker. And he has a fire pro wrestling creative moveset. Like, 
He really does. He, he does, does some yeah. cool stuff. I I thought the match with Moxley was awesome. It was fun. It was different. Yeah, I I really really enjoyed this tournament so far. Yeah, it's been uh, pretty great. Um, I have gone notebook, low level notebook, but notebook all the same. I think four times by now. Um, I thought the uh, uh, what is my favorite from it so far? Um, I thought the main event from Dynamite, the first one last week, uh, was a good one. Uh, Mox and uh, Mark Briscoe, I thought that was, that hit four stars on an otherwise kind of dire show. Uh, I went four and a quarter on Brody and Eddie. I thought that just kind of ruled just these guys beating the shit out of each other. I did go four and a half on Briscoe and Roosh. And uh, I also, I went four and a quarter on White and Swerve. So I think those those four, like not, we're not talking match of the year candidates here. We have yet to get really one of those. Uh, but I think all of them have been like, hey, uh, pretty damn fun. And uh, uh, nothing to uh, sneeze at, you know. I do think there's another level here. Uh, I think, you know, basically anytime Danielson gets in the ring is a potential for you know, that level of match and we will see what comes of it. But I do think this has been a good start. Um, I think I they are. Say, I don't think we're, we're going to get a match the year kind of match. Really? But I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think with it, with it being on American television, I just don't think that they're going to peak that high and only because they're on American television, not because of the participants. I just think it limits you too much. Yeah, on, but AEW has had a uh, match of the year candidates on TV. I mean, hell, one of my top five matches now, but uh, at one point a serious contender for match of the year. Uh, actually, I still um, number three or four for me is uh, Vikingo and Omega from Dynamite back in March. I mean, yeah, but look at what it didn't have limitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they wrestled through a couple commercial breaks, but they did the picture in picture. And they didn't have a time limit. Like, I, I just think how the Continental Classic is structured, it's just not conducive to a match of the year contender. And that's, that's I'm not using it as an insult. I just think oh, it's yeah, a reality. Sure. I think it makes it harder. I, I don't want to, like, poo-poo what you're saying. But I, I do think that it's possible. Um, it's just not easy. Um but yeah, I mean that'll be fun to watch. I think uh, fun to see if anyone can hit it. And you know, I one hundred percent believe in Danielson. So I do think if you're going to have one, it'll be the final. That's going to be the one that's going to top out. Yeah, I mean, once you get to the pay per view, you know, I think those concerns are gone because I imagine both will be without time limits. You won't be doing just the uh, twenty minute, you know, to, you know, limit. Uh, but yeah, uh, these could be really, there could be some really fun stuff coming up and I, I hope they get to that level. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. I guess we kind of ran through that pretty quickly. Um, we're hour 15 in, um, do you have any other thoughts on TV from the past week? Because I didn't get to watch rampage. Uh, I do want to bury some stuff from collision last week. Um, I'll let you do that because I'm going to be honest. I only caught bits and pieces of Collision. Um, this is this week is probably my busiest of the year because college football championship weekend is this weekend. Last weekend was um, 
rivalry weekend. Vikings played on Monday night. And then now it's a bye week, so I'm scrambling to get a bunch of stuff uh, kind of handled there. So collision is not something I, I caught a lot of. Um, but I will say, I went 6-1-1 one one against the spread last week, baby. You would have If you would have bet all my plays, you would have made a bunch of money. Nice. Um, well, okay, here's here's the good and the bad from Collision, in my opinion. Um, Claudio and Daniel was disappointing, uh, Daniel Garcia. I went three and a, three and a half on that, uh, and that's like, if I did the plus minus thing, it probably would have been three and a half minus. Uh, I, you know, for, for this whole Daniel Garcia, you know, needs to become a wrestler storyline to really work out. Like, I think you gotta have, gotta hit some higher notes than that. And I think between that and his kind of lackluster match with MJF, uh, he's. I'm hoping he steps it up. Uh, I know he's great. I love him. I think he's a fantastic worker, but he's got to do it. And uh, this Claudio match, while fun and good, uh, was not at that high level that you would hope for him to be at. Um, uh, uh, two other things I want to talk about real quick. Um, one... Um, Gravity had maybe the worst televised performance in a while. Um, it feels like every single move he did, he botched. It was just, it was really rough. Um, and, uh, you know, they progressively got worse. Uh, meanwhile, Commander is just like busting out crazy moves and hitting them all. So it kept, it, Commander kept the match from being a total disaster on their side of the thing. And I mean, Buddy Matthews and Malachi Black were solid. Uh, you know, they did good stuff. But Gravity just like, he tried to do some uh there was one thing in particular that was called as a jawbreaker out of a suplex or something and that was uh that was a very generous attempt to cover by the announced team uh really bad um aw tried to air the promo hyping uh the return of dante martin and uh in the just in the middle of it an ad starts playing for the nba in-season tournament <laughs> Cutting it, cutting it completely off, and then when they get it back, so it's just Dante Martin wandering on screen before he can really say anything. Uh, they just play a commercial on top of it, so completely ruined that. Uh, they replayed that later in the show, but it kind of killed the whole wow, Dante Martin's coming back surprise aspect. And then, um, there was an underwhelming FTR righteous match, which should not have been because those teams are good, and I was actually pretty excited for that, but they, uh, Dax blew a springboard spot pretty bad. And then, um, you know, just some other, you know, messiness in there involving, I think, uh, Dutch and Dax. Uh, just not a great night. Um, but then this is a Big Bill podcast. And Big Bill cut a promo. And honestly, look, if you told me three years ago that Ricky Starks and Big Bill would be in a tag team and they would do a promo segment where Ricky Starks did, basically didn't talk any and it would be awesome because Big Bill's great, I would not have believed you, but that's what happened on this show. And Big Bill is a big talker and a big star. This ruled. If you haven't checked this out, take the time. Uh, I, big uh, Bill. Big Bill. You know what? We, we're, 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 we're still offering spots on here, man. On the big yeah. bill uh, bandwagon. You know what we need to do? Um, we need to call up our our good buddy Dave Meltzer and have him bring on Big Bill with him. Let's let's make them a tag team. Call him the call him the San Jose uh, Jose New York Pipeline. There you um, go. Yeah. <laughs> big Bill, if you Smooth. ever listen to this, we want to have you on the show and and 
praise your genius in the ring. Just he's just a great worker, man. He's doing fantastic right now, and uh, gotta love him. Gotta love Big Bill. Um, let's see. I think that's uh, there's a good Adam Copeland promo on here, though he did get dangerously close to going to that place. Uh, Keith Lee, but cut you a know good what? Promo. I was okay with going. To I was that okay place. with it. Yeah, you know yeah. why? You know why? And it, it relates back to the article that I wrote for Voice of Wrestling earlier this week. It was authentic. Yeah, it was real. It was never said bullshit. he was going to that place, which it feels was, very WWE. It was very genuine. It yeah. felt like you were listening to Adam Copeland, and you weren't listening to some derived bullshit character. You were listening to the man. And you know what? If he goes to that place where he gets that annoyed and frustrated and pissed off, and he gets a little bit um, animated, I'm okay with that. You know why? It's real. That matters to me. It, it felt authentic and real. And if you can yeah. do that, you can get away with a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, but I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, not a perfect show. I think uh, a couple good promos really carried the in-between segments, but I did like the opener a little bit and love the main. And then we got to... Uh, Got to uh, Dynamite, and uh, Brian Danielson uh, is fantastic on commentary. He's uh, he's so good. Um, and uh, I really liked his interplay with Eddie Kingston after uh, Eddie, you know, they showed Eddie's promo where he doubted himself after losing to Malachi. And... Uh, yeah, um... I thought that was great, and I'm really excited for their match. And they need to start doing that stuff. They need to start having people cut promos on each other to hype these matches. They need to start uh, building them up more. And, um, yeah. And this week we even had a, a good MJF segment, I have to say. You know, it wasn't great, but it was good. And it was uh, just, there was no ha-ha bullshit. There was no uh, screaming at him. Uh, and there it was no Adam Cole. Real, it felt real authentic. It felt like you were listening to MJF again and yeah. not what MJF wants to be. It felt like you were listening to him. And authenticity is going to be the thing that saves this company and moves it in the right direction. Guys like Moxley, the old MJF before all this derived bro chacho bullshit, Samoa Joe. Is there anybody more authentic in the history of pro wrestling than Samoa Joe? Mm, not very many, not recently. At John least. Moxley. Maybe. They're on the same level. They are yeah. as authentic as they come. You believe they're going to beat your ass. They're scary looking. They're legit tough guys. And they're going to beat the piss out of you. Yeah. Now, it, when Samojo wins that belt at uh, World's End, his first defense needs to be against John Moxley. Or, or his first pay-per-view defense. You know why? Oh, God. How great would that be? The John Moxley great. versus Samoa Joe match. I did see somebody uh, opining that Samoa Joe versus Sting should be Sting's final match. I mean, I, I get it, but I feel like you should put try and put somebody over. I do think it would be kind of cool for Sting to win on his way out, but I also think it would be kind of cool for Darby to beat him. You got to have Darby beat him, I think. Sting has never lost in AEW. Yeah. He, There's a reason a, why they, they mentioned it. Um, I don't know if they mentioned it on the pre-tape, but they mentioned it in, on Rampage. This thing is 24-0. Yeah. 
in AEW. Tags, I don't think I don't know if he's had a singles match. He might have had one or two. But in tags, yeah. 24 and 0. Yeah. Uh Sting rolls. Um and I thought Dante Martin looked really good in his return. Um Oh, he looked great. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see what he does. I think he can really be a star. Um and uh the last big thing I talk about, I think, here is uh Christian Cage. And Adam Copeland putting on so good a great segment. Um, <laughs> it was so good. Um, it's something to watch for the next month, you know, as we're finalizing re- awards and everything. And I'd love to do that at some point in the next month plus with you. Um, is you Christian? Know what we your- do we should do our own like um the like a show wrestler of the year poll? Okay, sure, we can do that. Um, I was going to ask you though, is Christian your interview of the year? Top three for sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if he's won. Um, the, the only guy I would pause and think about, I think is, uh, that that's, has done enough of them. Um, it's probably John Moxley. I think Eddie Kingston disappeared a little bit too much. I think Osprey. Mojo. Uh, yeah. Osprey is not bad. It, it, not bad. Sometimes it's hard to think about him for interview of the year. Because so much of what, so, yeah, because of the style, so much of what they do backstage. As the uh, dogs rise up in rebellion against uh, yeah, Tyler, it's it's a Claire. She's she so with her uh, seizures and stuff. They think it's meningitis, and then she she like tilts her head and like walks oh, up yeah. with walls and bats into stuff. She just knocked over the baby gate, blocking the downstairs. Oh, she's okay, okay. but okay. yeah, it's that. That's why you've heard some noises. I apologize, but. I, I can't leave her alone down here without worrying about her. So, as as a long time uh, shutdown fullcast fan, um, audio quality is uh, is optional. <laughs> it's kind of always been my stance because my brain's been poisoned by that stupid show. Um, uh, but yeah, um, I, I love that segment. I thought it was a nice counterpoint to the you know now infamous Christian Cage fuck you segment uh the fact that they miss censoring adam copeland saying it perfect loved it um not intentional but very funny um yeah uh any other since you were there in person you know tyler do you have any thoughts from this dynamite that we didn't talk about already so i've i've been to two Odie, be quiet <laughs> yeah there you go let dad talk okay um I, oh nope he's gonna keep barking that's um, cooking Odie, calm down. You're just borking at your sister, you idiot. Um, I do love my dog, I promise. Um, if I, I'd only been to two AEW shows in Minnesota before. All right, you know what? This is just too much. I'm going to have to throw something at him um, because to he's him. just being an Odie. To him, surely. Well, it was, it was a soft plush egg, <laughs> um, like an Easter egg. Um, so I've been to Full Gear. And I, I bit, went to All Out 2021 and 2022. But then the only Dynamite I had attended was Quake at the Lake. That wasn't a real Dynamite. It was like quasi-pay-per-view. You had Brody King and Darby in the coffin match to open the show. The main event was Lionheart versus John Moxley with CM Punk's return. Like, that wasn't a real Dynamite. This, this was a Dynamite. And you know what? The crowd was hot. There was like this 40-year-old dude 
uh, yeah, screaming out Adam and yelling at, at wrestlers. He was yelling at Jay White that he sucked. People around him were just laughing. It was entertaining, but it was fun as Odie keeps borking because he he also likes to yell at Jay White. Um, Who doesn't? But yeah, it was it was a good crowd. Um, wasn't super full. I'd probably say around forty five hundred in the building. Um, they had it the entire top um, draped off, but I could only buy like one ticket when I went to go buy tickets because I was supposed to get a media ticket, but it fell through. Mm-hmm. Odie, enough, bud. You're gonna get dinner. Yep, you're gonna get dinner in a minute. Yeah, there you go. Um, and yeah, it ended up being a great seat. Had a great time. Um, rampage was actually good because the Quake at the Lake Rampage was the worst rampage they'd ever done. It was so bad. Um, as my dogs <laughs> knocked something else down. Um, just oh boy, it's it's chaotic time uh, post uh, neurology appointment. Let me tell you. But yeah, um, it was good. Um, they, everybody kept saying restore the feeling. I left feeling better about this company than I had in a long time. It felt like an old school dynamite. It had good wrestling, like three matches that were either in the notebook or borderline notebook. And you know what? Emmy Sakura and Julia Hart was pretty good. And I I, I got to say this. Julia Hart is a future star. She gets it. She gets it. The little things, the mannerisms, uh, soaking up the crowd. Because she's a Minnesota girl. She is. She's one of us. I don't know how it came across on TV. She got a tremendous pop when her music hit and she came out. Everybody was behind her. And it was awesome. Um, her work is improving. It's still sloppy, but she's what, 22? Yeah, she's ridiculously young. She's a baby. So she's 22 years old and she's this over and her character is so good. Imagine what's going to happen when she figures everything out and puts it all together. This could be a real superstar down the line in the business. I'm intrigued to see what happens with her. Yeah. Uh, I think she could be a huge star. And it's just a matter of growth and time, I think. So, well, uh, anything else you want to talk about from this past week of TV or AW or, you know? Um, I think I want to talk about my article quick. Um, oh, John, sure, Moxley's, yeah. John Moxley's the savior of AEW. Um, it really hit me when he came out and what, where this company needs to shift, especially that CM Punk promo on Raw. Nothing about that was authentic. Nothing about that was real. It was uh, somebody wrote it for Voice of Wrestling. I think it was Fort St. Dennis who, who, um, who's been writing for us for a little bit. Corporate money. Corporate money. Punk. It's, yeah, it's, all it is is a money grab. And you know what? Good for Punk. Like, you if you can get paid that much money, go get paid that much money. But it you look at his promo from Rampage when he debuted. That felt real, authentic. You're gonna hear that a lot from me over the, the next few weeks. Authenticity needs to be the focus of this company moving forward. Bar none. It starts with John Moxley, Eddie Kingston, Samoa Joe, old MJF. MJF is not a lost cause. Mm-mm, what no. he's doing is a lost cause, but you can get him back. And you know what? It was a start on Wednesday. The, we've seen this before where you pop off and they hear the criticism, have one really good week, and then they fall back. Do it again. Do it a third time. Do it a fourth time. Go into that pay-per-view and kill it. 
This group has a real chance, Fred, to make a difference. And authenticity will be the key to unlocking whatever future AEW has. Because if you can continue to stay authentic and real, it's going to separate you from the bullshit in the other company. Because you know what? Cartoonish stuff works for some people. I even, even will admit cartoonish stuff will work in AEW. Like the Swerve's House stuff, I think it's a little stupid. You know what? It works. Who cares? And Swerve is over like a mother. He is so over. Maybe it was just the dichotomy of him versus Jay White. The entire building wanted him to win. I Even think, though he's a heel. like I think he baby-faced himself a little bit with that page match. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's... I, I, it, we, it's a discussion for another time, the path of JT... Or, I'm sorry, of uh, Swerve Strickland to, uh, to baby-face star. And if it's possible and what it would take. I mean, it is possible. But, um, yeah. Uh, interesting stuff. Um, for sure, just thinking about the the future path of him. Yeah, it's uh, authenticity is the key. Yes. Be authentic, and if AEW does that, the sky is the limit. Because you know what was real and why AEW is so great initially: great matches, great in ring stories, not contrived bullshit, not logic gaps. Look, we got frustrated with some stuff here and there, but the core and the heart of AEW was always great wrestling with authenticity. Yeah. Get back to that. The sky's the limit. Make it happen, Tony Khan. They need to do it. Uh they need to that that those two things need to be their central tenets and I think that's really what set them apart initially and helped them become popular uh like far beyond what people expected in 2019. Uh and I think they need to stick with that. I mean, you can work around that to some extent for sure, but I don't think you can abandon that. And I feel like that's been the biggest issue with the Fair Chacho storyline is they kind of moved away from it. And uh, I think that's just, you know, not viable. Um, hey, Fred, I, I want to read this to you before we go. Um, because uh, in, in college football, you get the extra year of eligibility due to COVID-19. All right. And you'll get this because you and I are around the same age. College eligibility is the new Columbia House CD deal. <laughs> That's good. That is that is, that is a good joke. That is that is a very shout good out joke. Uh, NFL scout uh, draft scout Emery Hunt. That guy That's rules. A, that's a good one. Um, all right. Well, I think that's about it for the day. Uh, do you want to note before we go? One, don't forget the Dave Meltzer interview. Uh, again, you can email us questions, hungypod, H-U-N-G-E-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can also drop them in our Discord channel where I just also posted my two-date top 100 wrestlers on the year, um, which uh, I've been updating every week or so uh, for the past couple months. And also today is World AIDS Day. So, uh, you know, uh, think about that some, I guess. All right. The way um, you said it's World AIDS Day. Yes, AIDS Day. World AIDS Day. Uh, hey, you you know what the the one of the best ways to um, try and stop the um, pandemic of AIDS or mm-hmm. the epidemic? I mean, um, help infrastructure in Africa. One of the reasons why so much of this of these medications and stuff can't get to the people. 
the infrastructure in the country, in, sorry, the continent of Africa is horseshit. It's awful. Yes. Trying to get around and like just drive like semis and stuff we take for granted. There's no interstate system in Africa. Infrastructure is the number one thing that will help these countries get that to a spot where it we don't have like third world communities anymore. We can get them it, the supplies that they need quickly, efficiently, and cost less money to do so. Help the infrastructure of Africa, and you can help a, a lot more. Or, sorry, the good that people are already doing with st- with uh, stuff like the AIDS epidemic can be helped way more if you fix the infrastructure. Remember that as as we t- as uh, I guess I don't, celebrate isn't the right word as we as we commemorate commemorate World AIDS Day. Yeah, uh, I don't think I could say it much better. Um, but yeah, um, I, I'm out of stuff to talk about. Finally, thank God. <laughs> it's been so don't much. worry. We'll have Dave Meltzer on Tuesday. We won't have to do a whole lot of talking, and that's hey. it's going to be a lot of fun. If you have yeah, any I'm questions, so excited for that. Um, the easiest place to drop those questions is the Voices of Wrestling Discord, where we have our own channel, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy. You can also email us at hungypod at gmail.com. You can DM myself at the Real Forno on Twitter slash X, and you can find Fred on about 500 different offshoots, but he is no longer on no, just blue Elon Musk machine. Oh. Thank you guys very much for listening. Like, comment, subscribe. Do all the things. Help us out. And if you want, there's a link to donate to us in the show notes. I am trying to buy an NFL Blitz arcade machine, and I'm sure Fred wants to buy um, more packs of cards so he can find another Anna J one of one and sell that <laughs> on the eBay. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you next week with the legend himself, Dave Meltzer. Take care. Take care, everyone. Have a good one. Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host for You've Got to Be Kidding Me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you, you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network and Liam will do bits and whatnot.